You are listening to a Victory in the Bank podcast. If Jesus is not Lord of all, He is not Lord at all. Discover the truth of Jesus' Lordship in our lives in this message by Pastor June Escasar. Our question today comes from Luke chapter 6, verse 46. The question series that we are looking at is Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Obviously, as what Pastor Ariel has already mentioned to you, I don't know if it ever made you wonder why our series title is called When Questions Are Answers. The question themselves become the answers. Is because the one who poses these questions, these are what we call questions that Jesus asked, are also the very answers to the queries that we have raised in this series. Jesus is the ultimate answer. He is the one asking, but Jesus is ultimate answer to all of these questions, which is what makes this series really exciting. According to many scholars, uh, uh, scholars, there's about 135 to about 175 questions Jesus asked in the gospel alone. In the whole Bible, there's about 295 to 300 questions. Three years of sermon series, even if we preach every week, would not be enough to cover the questions Jesus asked. But this Questions were asked not because, like what Pastor Ariel said, not because Jesus doesn't know the answer, but because we don't, and that's the whole point. The whole point that these questions were asked is to examine, to expose what's in our hearts, but it is also to make us evaluate and examine our own personal relationship with Jesus. See, here are some other benefits to why Jesus had answered this question, I've asked these questions. It's to prod us to think. It provokes us to self-examination. If Jesus asked these questions, how many of you believe these are very important questions? These are not just random thoughts. I believe it is recorded in the Bible. They are inspired for a purpose. It also focus our attention on something significant to teach us vital spiritual truths. Questions are so radical, they expose not only something that's in our heart, but it teaches us something really valuable as we would do so in this message. But the thing I love most is that it invites a dialogue. And and it, it helps us to engage, to interact that forces us to seek the mind and the heart of God. So the question series for us is Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? If you are familiar with Hebrew literature, every time you encounter, every time a person's name is repeated twice, it actually conveys an expression of intimacy. When you call somebody, June, June. (laughs) Okay, if you call somebody twice, that speaks that you know the person well. That there is a relationship between the two of you. When Jesus called Abraham in Mount Moriah, he calls him Abraham, Abraham. When When God told Jacob in his 
uh, old, uh, in his latter part of his life to go to Egypt. He said to him, Jacob, Jacob. When God called Samuel, the young boy, when he was under the mentorship of Eli, he called him Samuel, Samuel. And when he called Moses in the burning bush, he called him Moses, Moses. When Jesus confronted Martha because she was so upset and so worried about so many things, she was so busy, Jesus said, Martha, Martha. And our Lord himself, when he was on the cross, agonizing on the cross, he looked up to heaven and said, my God, my God. And here Jesus is talking to the, his disciples. He just basically called his disciples to himself. And so as many other people, he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? As if, why do you act like we are close? Or, why do you pretend to have this deep relationship with me and yet you don't do what I say? It is okay to presume I will not make any demands for anybody who I have no relationship with. But for somebody who pretends to know me and is close to me, I would have serious doubts. You call me Lord, Lord, and yet you do not do what I say. What this really gets down to is that very question there at the bottom, who is Jesus really to you? You know, we could spend weeks just studying a character or a personality of Jesus. Jesus is multifaceted in the way he reveals himself to us. We could talk for an entire week about Jesus being the healer. And you will have an opportunity to talk about that next week. But is Jesus just a healer to you? Perhaps a teacher, a comforter, your provider, maybe your protector. Perhaps he is your savior. If you're quite familiar with the Old Testament, especially in the book of Psalms, maybe Jesus is your stronghold, your strong tower. He is your fortress. But surprisingly, in this question, Jesus did not just ask, why do you call me teacher, teacher, and do not do what I say? He didn't say, why do you call me Savior, Savior, and do not do what I say? Here we see clearly, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? The word Lord demands obedience. The word Lord in Hebrew is such a sacred word, it is kurios, K-U-R-I-O-S. What this means, just to show to you the fanaticism and the, even the, uh, almost the superstition that goes with that, out of reverence for that name. When a scribe would be writing the scripture and transcribing, and when it gets to that name, Curious, before they write it, they take a bath, put on a new clothes, write the name Curious, break the pen, and continue writing again. That is how intense and how sacred it was. The people who understand in those days when they use the word curious, that means they bow their knee to no other, that they are willing to die for that name because curious means one thing and one thing alone. He is absolute ruler and master of our lives. I don't want to negate the value of all these other roles of Jesus in our lives. 
But if there is one question we need to settle that is most important, I already mentioned to you, there are over three, there are like some 300 questions Jesus asked. But if there's one question you need to settle, you need to answer. Because in this question, hangs the entire foundation of your Christian life. It is this question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Luke 6, 46. As 647 says this. I don't know if you realize this. But Luke 646 is part of the context of the parable of the wise and foolish builder. The moment he asked, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Immediately, the next verse was this. It is describing a man that is wise as opposed to the unwise or foolish man. It says, I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. This, my brothers and sisters, is lordship. You know, we're kind of emotional people, especially as Filipinos. We say, oh, I love Jesus. And we could get so emotional. But you know the way Jesus tests that love. Jesus said, you love me? If you truly love me, he says, you will obey what I command. In the context of Peter, that would have been different. You love me, Peter? Of course I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. Take care of my sheep. Feed my lambs. It is always, it always has to do with actions. It is not just words that comes out of our own mouth. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep, who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When we talk about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We are talking about building the right foundation. And those that do are wise. And it says, those who laid the foundation on rock, when the flood came, the, tor- the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. A house founded on the Lordship of Jesus Christ is unshakable. It doesn't suggest that we have a trouble-free life or a problem-free life. We might have a whole lot of them. Probably more when you make Jesus Lord. But I'll tell you, you will be unshakable. You see many Christians, just a little bit of testing to their faith, like the parable in the sower. Parable of the different kinds of seeds. When the worries of this life and the cares of this life comes, they easily choke the word and they are gone. But a person founded on the solid rock, the foundation of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, they are not shaken. If you cross-reference this from a man who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, this is what he had to say. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. Not just any builder, but an expert builder. Word in Greek, it's called architecton, where we get the English words architect. But each one, he said, should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. What this verse is saying, don't make no mistake. Some of you here are blessed to have families that are affluent or maybe because of the labors of your of those uh, of God ahead of you, they put up companies and you are simply there to step in to inherit those businesses and simply to continue them. 
So maybe your future is guaranteed. Maybe you have a lot of assets in your whole lifetime. You cannot even spend all those. But it would be still wrong to put your foundation on money. It is wrong to put your foundation on human success. Because those things come and go. Amen? But only the life founded on the Lord Jesus Christ will remain. The world and its desires, the Bible says, will pass away. But the man who does the will of God will live forever. Lordship of Jesus is the main foundation of our Christian life. This is the most crucial issue in Christian discipleship. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, it says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Lordship begins in the heart. And when it does, I'll tell you, it impacts every area of your entire life. Guys, I'm getting ahead of myself. But when we talk about lordship, we are not, this is not a salvation issue. I will get there in a moment and I will thoroughly explain it to you. This is a foundational issue. If you do not settle this in your life, you will have faulty foundation. Because a real Christian, every area of their lives will be impacted. Their spiritual life. The Bible says, those of us who are in Christ set our hearts on things above. We know our affections are things. We are focused on things that are not temporal, but things that will matter for eternity. The decisions we make are not just for temporary success. The, the decisions we make, we, we analyze them and we view them in light of its eternal implications. Not just on what will benefit us now. It also impacts our physical life. Jesus is not only Lord over our spiritual life. This body right here is the temple of the Holy Spirit. It may not be much. But we have to take good care of our bodies. The food we eat. The choices that we make. All food is considered clean. When you sanctify it in prayer. But not all are necessarily beneficial. Unless of course you want to meet your maker sooner than you will desire. Amen? But we have to take good care of our bodies. Our, I understand all our bodies have different makeup. Some burn uh, uh, their... Uh, some burn their, uh, what do you call that? Metabolism quicker than others. So this is not even an issue of weight. The only issue here is, are you taking good care of your bodies? Now, of course, some are extreme and they worship their bodies and they have become so, in, so much into vanity. I am not suggesting that either. I'm just saying we need to take good care of our bodies in our service for God. So we glorify God with our bodies. In our own social lives. The kinds of people. I hope we're not the ones influenced by bad people. I hope we influence them. But you stay away from those that could endanger your faith. Amen? Amen. The Bible says bad company corrupts mo good morals. We should stay away. We should make the right choices. They may not be the most popular people, but if they can help you grow, if they can enhance your spiritual relationship with God, you go with those kinds of people. Amen? Amen. I am not suggesting we become ascetics, we cut off our relationship. I am just saying we do not want to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. That this does not suggest we are not to make friends with them. Sure we should. We should be engaging the lost. That's one of our core values. Amen? 
So don't get me wrong. But an equally yoke as in two cows with a yoke. Wherever they go, you go. You have no choice. That is, you are unnecessarily tied up to them. You don't want to be tied up. You just want to influence them. Amen? You want to engage them. Also, our mental thought. We should be meditating on the Word of God. We should be thinking thoughts that are excellent, praiseworthy. Things that reflect the values of the kingdom. Godly thoughts. Happy thoughts. <laughs> and perhaps for some of you here that are students, you are not only to be born again in your spirit, your grades also need to be born again. It needs to ra be raised from the dead. Amen? If Jesus is Lord, we should glorify God even in our academics. We need to read books that will cause us, will, will, will teach our mind to think uh, great, great thoughts, godly thoughts. Lordship will spell the difference between victory and defeat, fruitfulness or barrenness, usefulness or ineffectiveness in our service for God. You'd see Christians, why is it that some are so on fire? Why is it that some, they are so fruitful, consistent, stable? Unlike others, one day they're up, some day they're, they're depressed, some days they're in compromise, some days they're just backslidden. That is not the way it should be. There is fault, there is problem in our foundation if that is the way we live. All other teachings on discipleship all rest on the foundation of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'll show you a verse in John chapter 12 verse 24 that I thought is very powerful. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single, only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Think with me, if you're holding a seed in every seed, there is potential to produce life. It could be a huge tree, it could be a plant, whatever it may be. But what good is a seed if you just keep holding it and touching it all day long? It will never fulfill its destiny. The only way a seed can fulfill its destiny, you open up the ground, you put that seed, you cover it, you let it die, and then slowly it will come to life and it will bear much fruit. That is a picture of lordship. The reason why many Christians are not bearing that much fruit, they have not died to themselves and lived for the purposes of God. Lordship means, Lord, not my will, but let your will be done. See, so you are living for the purposes of God, which is what makes it very powerful. And this next verse will further validate that. Jesus said to those that would follow him, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross, how often? Daily and follow me. This right here is the picture of lordship. People who have picked up their cross, when you see in those days a person carrying a cross, that doesn't mean he is a cross salesman selling crosses. Or maybe doing a pilgrim to communicate Jesus. No, in those days when they see a man picking a cross, that man is about to die. It is symbolic of death. So Jesus said, if you wish to follow me, you must pick up your cross. Not only when you feel spiritual, not only once in a while, but every day of your lives. The Bible says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to the perishing. But to us who are being saved, the, the cross is the power of God. 
You know why you are so dangerous when you pick up your cross? Because you are not living for yourself. You are living for the purpose of God. Satan is never intimidated by crossless Christians. It makes no impact whatsoever. They are just religious. But when he sees a Christian who knows and understands the power of the cross and they pick up their cross daily, they die to themselves, they live only for God's purpose. Their prayers, Lord, not my will. Let your will be done. Do unto me as you would in accordance to your will. Let me tell you, that's the kind of Christianity that will shake nations, that will shake our cities, that will shake your communities for God. Amen? Take a deep breath. I need to relax. I'm supposed to just, yeah. Continuing on, it says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will save it. This is one of the amazing paradox of the kingdom. It has always been the nature of the kingdom has always been like this. Jesus said, you want to be first, you must be last. You want to lead, you must serve. You want to be wise, you must be willing to be like a fool for Christ. And in this sense, Jesus said, you want to experience abundant life and the fullness of life? Here's what it takes. Lose your life, then you will find life. Let me give you a formula for a miserable Christian life. You want to know? Just give God 80 or 95% of your life. You know why that's miserable? You are so close to the experience, the fullness of life that God intended for you to experience. But because you are holding back 5%, 10%. Lord, I'll go to church. Lord, I'll be faithful to my wife. But Lord, this gambling, this is nothing. After all, if I win, I'll give a big tithe in the church. You know what the Lord is saying? Forget the 95% that you're willing to give up to me. I want the five that you're hiding behind your back. I want that five that you are not willing to yield to me for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Maybe the message for us tonight and the question for us is are there unyielded areas of our lives that the Lord right now is saying this has to go. You have to forgive Maybe it's time you have always delivered. I want to be part of a small group. I want to be part of a small group. But you have not. Maybe the Lord is saying to you, now is the time to take a step of faith. <laughs> Guys, bottom line, Jesus is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. He is absolute ruler and master. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? Many, another faulty foundation in our Christian lives that I believe we need to expose tonight is that many have acknowledged Jesus Savior, but have not really surrendered to His Lordship. Guys, this is not a contest about Savior and the role of Lord. These are both important. I cannot even imagine if Jesus did not become our Savior, what would happen to us? But Savior... That has to do everything with salvation, understanding grace and faith and the finished work of Jesus. Nothing we can do would ever save us. It is all based on the finished work of Jesus. But when we talk about lordship, this is about your state of health. This is about your foundation. This is about your walk with God, whether you'll be victorious or defeated, fruitful or barren. Amen? We don't want sloppy Christians. 
We want Christians' lives bring honor and glory to God. It is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves, proving yourselves to be true disciples of Jesus. The truth is we don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord whether we like it or not. Amen? Just to give you a, a very strong emphasis on the importance of lordship without diminishing the value of Jesus being our savior. The word Lord in the book of Acts alone is used 92 times and 747 times in the New Testament. The word savior is only used two times in Acts and 24 times in the whole New Testament because it's easy for us to respond. It is like that. It is not very, very heavy and Emphasized with so much emphasis because it's easy for us to grab hold of Jesus as Savior. But it takes time for people to surrender to His Lordship. You know why this is so important? Because there are so many people, I call it convenient Christianity. They are willing, of course, anytime, Jesus Savior, yeah, you'll take me to heaven, sure. I'll, I'll make you my Savior. But are you serious? See, salvation is free, you just in case any of you here have any doubts in your mind, there is nothing that you add to what Jesus has already done. Salvation is by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus, period. That's why I started by saying, salvation, I mean, lordship is not a salvation issue. It is a foundation issue. But if you are not careful... This is not about a person losing his salvation. You have no salvation to talk of even from the beginning because there is only false conversion because it was faulty from the beginning. The Bible e emphasis is overwhelming. Salvation is free, but it will cost you everything to follow Jesus. Even though salvation is free, there should be a true validation of our salvation. Jesus said you will know real Christians by their fruits. What comes out of their lives? Here are some serious implications for lordship. For time's sake, I just limit it to this one. Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Jesus said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. This is Lordship. This is Lordship, doing the will of God. Not my will, but yours, your, yours be done. Only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Sorry. Lord, Lord. Close to your Lord, diba? Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? In your name, drive out demons, perform many miracles. In our modern version, you could easily say, Lord, I went to Victory Weekend. I know one-to-one, -one, in and out. I worship. I give my tithes and offerings. I went to a camp. I went to 10 days. Here's the scariest part. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. Now you don't be scared. If you really accept Jesus, if you understand the clear 
portions of the gospel and you have put your faith in the finished work of Jesus, you are saved. But there are those who presume. They are not really serious about following God. They are just phony. They are just trying to be religious. God can see, pass through our hearts. It's one thing to serve God and struggle with certain areas of your life. Don't worry. I am not perfect either. You know, as long as we live in this life, we're work in progress. But I'm talking about people. Maybe we cannot really see through. Only God can see what is really in their hearts. It'd be a shocking moment when we see in heaven one day, and the Lord will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evildoers. This is serious. Paul, the apostle, connects salvation with the lordship of Christ. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, he said that if you confess with your mouth, he did, now this is a su subject of salvation. But look at the words that Paul used. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He could have easily said, confess, you want to be saved? Confess Jesus as Savior. But he said instead, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you settle the issue of Lordship first in your life. You're not only going to Jesus just for convenience. To make Jesus your life insurance just in case this heaven and hell is really real. I better accept Jesus as Lord. But you are not serious in following Him. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You will be saved. And I'll tell you, not just salvation. If you settle the issue of lordship, Jesus will not only be your savior, he will be your deliverer, he will be your provider, he will be your protector, he will be everything you ever wanted him to be. He is El Shaddai. Amen? Why do you think people call Jesus Lord, Lord, but do not do what he's saying? There could be many number of reasons, and I, this is adopted from Pastor Steve's book, 100 Years From Now, let me share with you two things. One, some are sincere but ignorant. Because of ignorance in God's word, there are gaps in our obedience. For example, have you ever seen Christians who still have issues of unforgiveness? Let me tell you something. This is serious. I could, we could empathize with the pain and whatever hurts you may have had inflicted on you by someone else. Maybe it was pure injustice. You were abused whatever it was done to you. But still, it does not negate the fact that you have to forgive. Jesus said it is mine to avenge. You don't have to worry about it. I know everything that happened. I know your pain. I know the injustice. It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. You give him something to drink. If you do that, it's like putting burning coals on their head. And then Jesus said this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Unforgiveness. Let me tell you, the Bible says, we are blessed with every spiritual blessings in Christ. That is one of the most powerful promises in the Bible. Blessed with every spiritual blessing. But listen to me. If you have unforgiveness, that blessings cannot flow. That forgiveness is the key that will unlock and unleash the dumps and dumps of blessing that will flood in your life and in your families. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, you must be willing to forgive and live it up to God. Amen? God is a much better avenger than you. 
Instead, you do good to those who hurt you. You pray for those that spitefully insult you and use you and say all kinds of evil against you. You bless them instead. Sorry. You've seen probably Christians who still are unequally yoked. You've seen some Christians who have not even followed baptism. I do not know why even Jesus himself, he doesn't need to go to baptism because he had a sinful nature to be buried in the waters of baptism, be raised with the newness of life. But Jesus said that to John the Baptist, let it be so now. Because when John the Baptist recognized, this was Jesus said, you come to me to be baptized and he'll be baptized by you. He said, John, let it do it now. So you fulfill, so we fulfill all righteousness. Why would you not be baptized in water? Purity in an age where it's hard to distinguish what is evil. Today, the world is going nuts. Same-sex marriage are absolutely outside of the norm, but because it is gaining momentum, it seems like it's an accepted, normal process of life. I do not suggest we condemn homosexuals. God loves them just as God loves us. But we have good news. God loves them too, and God can set them free. Amen? We have, do not condemn any group of people, even murderers, even prostitutes. We are no different from them apart from the grace of God. Amen? Generosity. Some people are Christians, but they are stingy. And you know, that tells a lot. You want to find out about the health, one of the major health, health indicators of any person? Is their generosity. For some reason, that is one of the things God breaks in our lives and we become generous. Realizing what Jesus Christ has done for us. Some are sincere but independent. They are not part of a church. They are not committed to a local church. They are not connected to the small groups or discipleship. These are essential. God's great commission is go make disciples of all nations, teaching them whatsoever things I have commanded you. If you're coming to church, that's great. Thank God. But if you really want to go deeper in your relationship with God, if you want to gain greater victories in your life, you need accountability. You need a small group of people that can spur you on and it will make you 10 times better than where you are now. The Bible said, blessed are you when you fall and someone picks you up. There are brothers and sisters who loves you, stands with you when you get sick. There are people there who calls you, prays for you. As the church begins to grow and we are by the thousands, we are over 10,000 here in Alabama. You could easily get lost. But if you have a small group, people can love you. It doesn't matter if we'll be 20,000. You are loved here. People cares for you. Amen? I know there are seasons and times some are really, really, really busy in this season. It's not like you have sinned. I'm just saying that it is very valuable for you. It is a necessity. And this are decision that must be influenced by the Lordship of Christ in our lives. Now, I know this message seems to be very, very heavy. Like a heavy punch in a, a, a heavyweight boxing. So I would like to conclude my message by veering now towards the good news. Because what the foundation of our understanding of lordship, our response to God, making Jesus number one, surrendering everything to him, is anchored not on fear, but on the overwhelming love of God for us. Let me give you three pictures that will blow you away. Why three? Because in case one is not enough, two will overwhelm you, three will just blow you away. Amen? 
The first picture is reflected in a legal system. The word, this is called good news because Jesus brought justification in our lives when we put our faith in Christ. Justification means the guilty one is given the status of righteous. Imagine you are guilty. All the evidence shows you are the one that killed this person. You are the one who stole this money. But you are now given. Now you are not just forgiven. You are given a status. You are not just forgiven. You are righteous. Because of what Jesus did. Not because of what you did. St. Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Jesus who had no sin. We sang that song earlier. To become sin for us. So that in Christ Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. He clothed us with His robes of righteousness. We are not righteous because we, we are righteous today. Not because of anything we have done. But because of the, purely on the merits of what Jesus Christ has done. Have you ever watched the movie The Ten Commandments? I suggest those of you that are younger and not watch this, go look for it and watch it. Maybe from the Betamax or something like that. I know you've never heard it. Maybe go back to the laser disc. <laughs> but listen, in that movie, God, in that, in that story of the Exodus story, God sent Moses as a deliverer for the people of Israel that were in bondage to Egypt. God sent Moses to confront Pharaoh, let my people go. One miracle after another. They were amazing miracles. But because Pharaoh's heart was hardened, he did not let God's people go. Or at one point, he wanted to, but he changed his mind. And finally, God said, I'm going to send a final blow. I'm going to send a final judgment. It will be the spirit of death. And when he comes, he said, it will kill all firstborn." Say, this is what you need to do to spare the lives of the people. Get the blood of the lamb. You kill a lamb, which is now the picture of Jesus being the lamb of God. Get the blood and put the blood on the doorpost of the house. So that when the spirit of death comes, when it sees the blood, it will pass over the house. That's why the Jews celebrate one of the most sacred and most holy festivities is the Passover because when the spirit of death comes, it will pass over the house. Let me ask you a question. Did the spirit of death pass over the house because the people there were godly? They really read their Bibles that day and they made sure they did not sin? It was not about the righteousness of anyone in that house at all. It was purely on the merits of the blood of the lamb that was on the doorpost of the house. Guys, the Bible says at one time, Jesus destroyed earth with water, but he will come again to destroy it. Final, finality. But those of us that bears the blood of Jesus Christ, death and second judgment will simply pass over us. Amen? Because we are covered. Because as far as God is concerned, we are righteous, not because of anything we've done, but because of his mercy. As if that is not enough, I'll show you the second one. It comes from a sacrificial system. This is a heavy word. It's called propitiation. But what it really means in simple terms is the God who cannot tolerate sin has to be satisfied by sacrifice. In other words, God is so holy, he must punish sin. The full wrath must be 
applied to satisfy God's holiness. And in this case, Jesus fully paid the price for that. He bared the full wrath of our judgment upon himself. So we don't have any more an angry God, but one who reaches down to us and say, I receive you. You are mine. Amen? The Bible says in 1 John 4, 10, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Brothers and sisters, God did not only give you a new status, you are righteous, but now he is looking down to you because all his anger was absorbed and taken by Jesus. Now he is looking at you, not angry, but smiling and saying, you are mine. Amen? And as if that is not enough, God gave us another picture, this time from a social system. In those days, many were slaves. And spiritually speaking, we are slaves, all of us are slaves to sin. In bondage to the devil, taken captive by him to do the will of the enemy, to do the will of the devil. Without hope, bound for destruction. But here the owner has paid the full price. You move out of slavery into belonging. No longer as slaves, but as sons and daughters in God's family. Galatians 4 says, But when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Come on, give the Lord a big hand for that. You are not only given the status righteous, not guilty, but not only forgiven, but righteous. Not only God is looking to you and saying, you are accepted. I'm not angry with you. I love you. I want you to come to me. And now we say, I'm adopting you into my family. And I'm giving you full rights of sonship and daughtership in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. Very quickly, how do we respond to this? Let the scripture speak for itself. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves. But now for him who died for them and was raised again. Let's quit living for ourselves. And it is now live for God. Amen? Galatians 2.20. I love this scripture. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. That's lordship. The life, and Christ lives in me. The life I now live by, I, I, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And the last verse we're going to look at as we close with the word of prayer, Romans 12, 1. I want to read this from the Living Bible. It says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Let them be a living sacrifice Holy, the kind he can accept. Can we all read this next statement together? All of us. Ready, go. When you think of what he has done for you, is this too much to ask? The odds here are overwhelming. Once you begin to realize the magnitude, the magnitude of our debt, our lostness, and the irresistible grace of Almighty God who can say no to that. And our most reasonable response is, Lord, I give my all to you. Salvation is purely free. 
So why then are we still doing these things? It is never to earn the merits of salvation. It's never to pay what God has done for us. We can never pay it. The reason we are doing this, this is our way of saying, Lord, you saved me. I didn't even do anything. The least we can do, everything that we do, going to church, doing discipleship, going to mission, giving to the offering, helping other people, is our way of saying, Lord, thank you. Accept this action as my spiritual act of worship to you. I give my all to you. I offer my bodies to you. A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable because of the great love and the great mercy you have given me. We hope you enjoyed that message. For information about services, upcoming events, and how to join a victory group, Simply like us on Facebook.com slash Victory Alabang or inquire at www.VictoryAlabang.org. You can also download our Victory Alabang app on Apple and Android devices. Thank you and stay connected.